So, this past August, uh, my wife Laura went on a week, a kid-free week of mental health jubilee, <laughs> and uh, she saw some really good friends, lifelong friends. She saw some family, and uh, got her nails done. Went to the beach. It was amazing, and. Um, Meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> I was getting a crash course in what it means to be a full-time parent. And uh, I had the charge of, of our three older kids, uh, who are amazing, uh, and, um, but cared for their needs and um, answered their questions and carted them to VBS and back and tried to make it through the week, really tried to get to the end of the week. And um, it was a noisy crazy-making, intense week for me. And I, I found that each day I had to have some kind of finish line for myself in order to, like, get to 8 p.m. And 8 p.m. is when all the kids go to bed and the noise ceases and, and then finally Daddy can care for his needs. And, um, and what I did was I had this vision of what would happen and it was, okay, the kids are in bed and the noise ceases. I can plop myself on the couch. I can turn on Friday Night Lights which is like my Netflix flavor of the month. And, um, and I can like open up a s'mores ice cream bar, which I don't know if you know about these things, but Costco sells them and it's like, uh, it's like a graham cracker flavored wafer with vanilla ice cream and then this like thin, amazing layer of, of like chocolate. And it's like the s'mores ice cream delight. And, um, and so that's, that's what would get me through each day. And so, and it, and it did, and, and, I, and, I, and I, it wasn't just a fantasy, it was a reality. Um, it, was, uh, it was a story about my suffering coming to an end, and, um, and, uh, and it was a, what, what I'll, I'll define as a comfort fantasy, and, and that is a vision of the future where we numb our suffering by, by satisfying a craving. A comfort fantasy is a vision of the future. Our imaginations, which can see the unseen, it's our God-given capacity to see what is unseen. We, we give ourselves a picture of the future where, oh man, our suffering is going to come to an end because there's a craving we have and it's going to be satisfied beyond, beyond compare. I want becomes I need in, in, this, in this vision of the future. There's this transfer that happens. I want becomes, no, 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 I really need this to get through my life, to get through my suffering. Now, because, of, because, because I'm a Westerner, because I'm an American, it's not hard for this vision to become true. In fact, it can get turned into reality so quickly that I don't even know that I'm having a, a, a fantasy. It, it so quickly becomes reality because it's, it's easy and inexpensive to, to, for, our, for us to feel comfortable us to satiate our cravings. Um, and then when the, when, the, when the fantasy finally became reality, it became this habit that demanded more uh, uh, than it delivered. I found that daddy didn't just need one ice cream bar. He needed two. Not just one episode of, of inspiring Coach Taylor, Man Among Men. I needed two of that guy. And so it was just the law of diminishing returns kicked in after, like, one time. 
has your imagination ever been captured by such a story as this? Uh, consider these fictional examples. Roger uh, works long hours as a bricklayer. The work is already physically demanding, but since he works in Chicago, he's exposed to extreme heat in the summer, extreme cold in the winter, and um, so uh, it's a hard, hard, hard day. He threw out his back five years ago, and he has a pinched nerve that he's been dealing with. There's constant tingling in his leg as he works. Now, Roger gets himself through each day of work with a vision of the future of uh, when he can finally plop himself into his most comfortable chair and have as many drinks as he needs to fall asleep. And that's, what, that's the vision of the future that gets him through his suffering. Consider this example. Wendy works for an ad agency in The Loop. Her clients are petty and demanding, and they're always writing emails in all caps <laughs> to her, threatening to go to a different ad agency. And her team is uh, unpredictable. They're angling for either her job or a better opportunity, and so she can't really count on them. Her situation is never stable. It's always in flux, and um, it's chaotic. But you know what gets her through the day? It's, it's, she loves the feeling of peace and control that she has when she's at REI, buying new hiking gear, buying new camping equipment. And so what gets her through the day is, the, man, the next trip to REI, the website, the store, where, where, where I finally feel in control. I finally feel the chaos in my soul goes down when I step away from work and when I step into purchasing some new hiking equipment. Or how about this? Andrew is still adjusting to the stress of college. He's never had a study so hard in his life. Um, if he doesn't get his GPA up in time, his parents are going to cut off his financial support. Andrew is running low on sleep and high on caffeine coming up to midterms. And he can't wait. His vision of the future is Friday afternoon when he turns in his final paper and he can be free to play World of Warcraft until kingdom come as long as he wants. Comfort fantasies are a vision of the future where our suffering ends and our pleasure begins. Um, here are some other fill-ins, some maybe, maybe things that you would make you feel comfortable. I just made a list of your pills, whether they're prescribed or not. Sports, watching, playing, porn. We'll talk about sexual fantasies in a couple weeks, um, but it could be a comfort for you. Entertainment of any kind. Desserts, um, meals, shopping, fantasy football, trip to the spa, Facebook stalking, uh, iPhone time. There's all kinds of ways uh, that, 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 there's all kinds of things we could think about, all kinds of ways we could get ourselves through the day by dreaming of a time when our, our suffering ends and our pleasure begins. Now, you might be asking the question, hey, you know, guy with the white robe, um, is this an anti-pleasure rant? Are you saying, dude, that it's wrong to pursue relief from your pain? Is that what you're really saying? Is it wrong to enjoy life? Uh, no, 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 no to all those questions. Um, relief is good. Avoiding suffering is, generally speaking, a good thing. It's a good, stable, wise thing to do to, to avoid suffering. Um, prescribed medications are good. Food is good. God has given us many good things to enjoy. Um, St. Augustine helps us make a distinction. 
here uh, when he says that um, there's a difference between enjoying something as, some, as one receiving it and worshiping something as, as, as one who needs it. So um, if, if you're enjoying something as someone who's receiving it gratefully, it's one thing. If you're worshiping and loving something as your ultimate deliverer, that's a different thing, and that is wrong, as, as uh, described in the scriptures. This sermon, though, is ultimately not... It is not about suffering, nor ultimately is it about pleasure. Um, as we open the Holy Scriptures, our question is this. What finish line has captured your imagination? What finish line are you holding before yourself as, as the end and the purpose of your present suffering? And we all suffer. But what's the finish line beyond your suffering? What, which one has captured your imagination? We need a good one. We need a good finish line to, to run towards. We need the true, good, and beautiful finish line that God has given us to run toward. Um, and as we open the Holy Scriptures this morning, we will see a better, more compelling finish line uh, than our own comfort. A better finish line than our own comfort. Um, so if you're a Christian, I want this sermon to renew your vision of what's ahead. If you're considering Christianity, not a Christian... Um, I would simply ask that you open your mind to um, what, uh, what God is offering uh, those who follow Jesus. Consider it as, as, a, as a better alternative to, um, to anything else that's offered to you. Um, and, and, and the main point of the sermon is this. Our Father is bringing us to His finish line so that we can share in His perfection. Our Father... We have a father. We do have our imaginations need to see this. We have a, a a heavenly father, and he's bringing us to his finish line, so that we can share in his perfection. And his finish line is often, at first, not our finish line. Our finish line usually is different. Our finish line usually is um, where we where we find pleasure and when our suffering ends. And his finish line is so much richer and fuller and deeper than that. Um, our father is taking us on a race. It's not a comfortable race. But it is a race that will fill us up with, with perfection and will put the scriptures called holiness, uh, which is a perfect, full, and beautiful existence that is more than we have right now, where our pain is transformed into glory, where our suffering is transformed into, into perfection. Imagine this. Imagine one day in your, in your life, in your existence, where... Love is the only motivation you have. And, and you and I both know that that's not our only motivation. But imagine a day when love is the only motivation that you have. Uh, where, um, where pettiness, where ego, and selfishness and death have all completely lost their grip on your soul. Can you imagine that day? Where, where pettiness and, and, and death... And ego is no longer a motivating factor. You can be completely motivated by love. Um, I know that there are things about you that you wish weren't true. You wish, if you could push a button and change something about yourself, mentally, physically, in your virtue, you would do it. I know this. There's something about yourself that you're, you're mad at yourself for. Now imagine a day when you are completely transformed of not only that, but all of the other barnacles that are holding on to you, holding you back from a full life of love, holding you back from selflessness. Our Father 
is bringing us through a journey of, yes, suffering, where he will bring us to his finish line, where we will share in what the scriptures call the very holiness of God. This is a journey that God calls all of us to. Um, if our imaginations fail in this way, if our imaginations fail to see this finish line, our suffering is going to only drive us to new habits, not new holiness. Our suffering tempts us to become addicted people rather than perfect people, which is God's call in our life. This is why we're doing this series, so our imaginations can be reconnected to God and His reality rather than simply stories, filling ourselves up with stories about our pain and our desires finding resolution. So our vision for our true finish line needs to be renewed. Um, so you've got numbers in front of you, the story of the people of God. This is a story about a battle for the imagination. This is a battle for the imagination of God's people. Now, we've seen in previous weeks, and you can download these sermons online if you so wish, um, we've, we've seen how God gave his people an imagination so that they could connect with him and his world in ways that are loving and just and true. But in, 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 in every case, in the case of Eve and Adam, in the case of Cain and Abel, they turned from that vision and they used their imagination to see something else, uh, which is a story about desires and pain, a story about them becoming like God in a way that God had not asked them to. And the consequences of that led God's people ultimately to slavery. They became slaves in a land called Egypt. And then God called these people out of Egypt on a journey to, to what he gave them as the promised land a land of fullness, a land of richness, a land where they would be renewed as God's people. Um, and, but the people of God, in the process, stopped seeing the promised land. Look with me at Numbers 11, verse 1. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. They complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, about their suffering. Um, you see, the journey that God had led them on in the wilderness was very similar, and we've talked about this before, very similar to detox. And if any of you have been in rehab, you know what detox is meant to do. Detox is meant to break the chains of slavery on your life, to break the haze of slavery, whether it's slavery to sex, slavery to alcohol, slavery uh, to drugs of some kind. Um, and... Uh, because when you are a slave, you're not on a journey anymore. You're simply in a haze. You're simply in a haze that deadens your pleasure and deadens your pain. You're stuck. You're not moving anywhere. And what detox does is it puts you in an environment where you can no longer turn to your addictions for comfort. It makes you uncomfortable. It gives you what feels like misfortunes. But along the way, it's taking you on a journey of purification, a journey of hope, a journey of, of wholeness. And that is what God was doing when he was bringing people out of Egypt. He was bringing them out of the comfort of being a slave. And it is comfortable. If any of you have been a slave of any kind, to any substance, 
There is a strange comfort about slavery. You don't have to live uh, as a whole human being. You can simply live in response to something else or someone else that is calling the shots from sunup to sundown. And there is a strange comfort in that kind of slavery. God is calling them out of that comfort and out of that haze. And in the process, they are complaining. Here's what they said uh, in verses 4 through 6. Now, the rabble that was among them, um, and commentators think that this was referring to a portion of the Egyptians that joined the people of God um, in, in their exodus, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. And here comes, here, here's the comfort fantasy. Here's what's going to get them through. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now, what's interesting is um, that this is a pretty healthy thing to be imagining. I mean, if you're going to have a comfort fantasy, guys, this is pretty much, I'm, this is the strict paleo diet, as best as I can understand it. Now, don't go crazy on the melons, but... It still is. I mean, this is perfectly... You're gonna, you have a meal like this, you're going to be hungry in 90 minutes. Um, you're going to feel great and everything. So, this is pretty healthy. And again, it's not, it's not what they're dreaming about per se. It's what they're not dreaming about. It's what they're not dreaming about. See, here's what they're saying. They're saying, you know what, Father? We reject this journey. We want to turn in on our numbness and feel okay again. We don't like this suffering. We don't like the fullness that it's bringing us. We want to go back to Egypt where it's safe. Yeah, sure, we were slaves, but we got free food. Things were defined for us. We can't see the promised land. What is this promised land? It's what they weren't seeing. They weren't seeing the Father's finish line of holiness and perfection and flourishing. They were seeing their own finish line, which is simply that their suffering was over. The Father wanted to transform their suffering. They just wanted to end their suffering. And then uh, in chapter 14, which I believe is on the same page, um, uh, Joshua is trying to wake up their imaginations. He's trying to wake their imaginations back up. Hey, don't miss out. And uh, you need to see what is for you, what is given for you. And he says this, starting in verse 6. Sorry, starting in verse 7. This land, which we have passed through to spy it out, is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. This is an exceedingly good land, Israel. This is a land where you're not going to be slaves anymore. This is a land where you're going to live lives that right now it's even hard to imagine. Not only is it flowing with milk and honey, but there's no more chains. There's no more Pharaoh. There's no more Egypt. You aren't slaves anymore. You're sons and your daughters. There is glory for you in the promised land, and you, Israel, need to see it. Um, now, most of them did not listen to Joshua. Most of them did not make the transfer from the complaining comfort fantasy to the promised land fantasy, to the promised land reality. They didn't make that transfer, and so many of them died in the wilderness. Their children was the generation that followed Joshua into the promised land, but they did not. So what's going to prevent us from making the same choice? Making the same choice where we live in a haze 
where we live in a comfort fantasy rather than seeing God's reality and following him into the promised land he's given us. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. That's on pages 4 and 5 of your programs. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and these are the people who have run the race that we're supposed to run, but they've done so faithfully, um, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, let's stop here and just make the observation that our addictions, whether they be to sugar or pornography or entertainment or alcohol, have a way of clinging closely to us, don't they? They have a way of getting inside of us and wielding control and, and using us like a puppet. It's almost as if some of the things that we get attached to and addicted to can play us like marionettes, like puppets. And we're simply responding and reacting to these things which get inside of us and control us. They act as barnacles that attach to us and take our life and weigh us down. How do we lay aside the comforts that have become addictions, that have become for many of us habits? Patterns, even resentments, even emotional habits, things that we've talked about previously in this series, or even inabilities, inability to love, inability to be unselfish, that clings to us, doesn't it? It weighs us down. It keeps us from being free. So what's the solution? How are those things laid aside? The writer tells us that the barnacles fall off when we look up to Jesus. He says this, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, when Jesus... Uh, when Jesus went the way of the cross rather than the way of comfort, he did that for you. He did that to make you free. When he was raised to life, that victory is for you to make you free, to, to bring you to, 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 to perfection, to bring you to God's promised land. When he ascended to what the scriptures say as the right hand of the throne of God, do you know what he does there? He intercedes for you. He prays for you. He, he advocates to the Father on your behalf. He, he, he's made a way for you to pray. All of that was for you. All of that was for us, for the people of God. All of that, it beckons us forward out of our haze to the promised land of what the author of Hebrews says, sharing in the holiness of God, sharing in God's very nature. He runs the race with us too. See, Jesus didn't just run the race before us. Jesus offers to run the race with you. Are you an addict seeking freedom? Jesus Christ has offered himself to be in complete and unfettered union with you, and he will run the race with you from now, from your present suffering to the finish line that God has promised for you. Are you someone who has an incapacity to live unselfishly? Is your entire life lived for yourself? Do you live a small, haze-filled life where... you? Simply, you are simply avoiding suffering, but you don't have a capacity to love. Jesus Christ has run the race for you, and he, he offers to run the race with you. 
He offers to, to limp with you to the finish line. And we do need to limp. He offers to go to rehab with you. He offers to, to go with you in your first baby steps of following Jesus, of following the Father to the finish line, where you are completely free to love, where you eventually will be completely perfect. Jesus Christ ran the race for you, and he will. He offers to run the race with you, even this morning. And this is grace, friends. This is grace, and grace is what we need to, to, to be free of our addictions. Grace is what we need to be free of our comfort fantasies. Grace is what we need to, to see the finish line that God has put before us of absolute perfection. It is grace that we need. We cannot peel the barnacles off in our own power. They come off as we look to Jesus. And our Father is bringing us to his finish line. Read with me in verse 6, 5 and 6. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. Have you ever considered that before? Is God so safe that he can't discipline you? Is God so safe that he cannot bring you through and even bring suffering to you? Is that the God that you imagine? That is not the God that led Israel to the promised land. He will have nothing less than your holiness. Listen in, uh, in verse 11, it says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful. And it does seem painful. More than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, this is what good fathers do. Good fathers lead us from the, uh, from the immediacy to the long term. It, he, uh, good fathers bring us from... Um, for the moment living, to later living. Good fathers bring us out of living for the present haze to living for a harvest of righteousness. Good fathers train their children. Good fathers train their children because otherwise these children would not live to the essence of their fullness. And our Father, our, our Heavenly Father will have nothing less than our holiness. Have you considered that? That's his finish line. And he uses our suffering to bring us into perfection. The author of Hebrews makes that connection. And it is when we cross the finish line that we will see that that's what he's been doing all along. It is when we cross the finish line that we see that all of the suffering of this life, when we are on the other side of death, let me make that clear, we'll get glimpses of it along the way. But for those of us who have said yes to this offer of union with Jesus Christ, when we cross the finish line, we will see what he had been doing all along. And let me just tell you, if you think that God is distant from your life, if you think that he can't see what you're going through, if you think that he is, is, uh, is completely blind and deaf to your suffering, I'm here to tell you that that is not true. Your father has a very intentional purpose for your suffering. Your father will bring you uh, to a place of glory that is hard to imagine right now, and he will do it with your suffering. This morning, he calls us out of our haze. He calls us out of our comfort fantasy to see his finish line of glory and perfection, sharing his holiness. Here's one way to practice this. 
one way to step into this race, one way to limp along, and that is this. What is one way that you find comfort right now that is immediate and habit-forming that for this week you could lay aside simply for silence and solitude before the presence of God? I know it's hard. (laughs) I know it's hard, believe me. When it's 8.08 and you're like, okay, finally. You know, the work is over. The work's not over. Not for God's sons and daughters. We have an opportunity to practice silence and solitude before the presence of our Father. Perhaps with one of these scriptures open, just take this bulletin home and open it up in your time of silence and solitude. It's a time where we step away from the haze and we receive the presence of Christ, where our imaginations can be opened up to the love of the Father, opened up to the call of the Father, opened up to what our lives will look like when our Father is through with us. Silence and solitude where there would otherwise be addiction. Don't do this alone. Find someone else. Join a small group and tell them about your experience. Invite them into the same experience. This is the day in and day out way that we look to Jesus when we have sin that, and addictions that cling so closely to us. What would it look like for Roger to do this, to practice the presence of Christ, even though there's tingling in his leg, and even though he's in pain, and even though it's cold, to practice the presence of Christ when he's tempted to fantasize about yet another glass of wine, or for Wendy to practice silence and solitude when she can, to see what the Lord is doing in her life through the angry clients and her team that she can't rely on, or, or even for Andrew, when he wants so badly to escape into the fantasy world of endless video games, what would it look like for Andrew to begin practicing the presence of Christ, seeing the finish line, seeing the perfection that the Lord wants to give him? If our imaginations can't see that finish line, we won't run towards it. If we cannot see the finish line of our perfection, we won't run towards it. We will reject the Father, we will reject his finish line, we will reject the journey that brings us there. Friends, we have a great cloud of witnesses and a faithful high priest, all of them cheering us on. Let us receive the grace of our Father so that we may share in his holiness. Let us come out of our comfort fantasy and with our lives and our imagination step to the incredible, perfecting, holiness-making reality that is, that is ours in Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand with me.